Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is March 12, and our passage for today is Judges chapter 7. This is the story of Gideon and the Midianites. Now, as you read through the book of Judges, you're going to come across two or three judges that will stand out to you, and certainly Gideon is one of those. And Gideon even had a name change that had to do with making fun of the enemies of God. He was called Jerub Baal, and this was to remind Gideon and to remind the people that the false god Baal, which means Lord, and Baalim, the various lords or gods, are nothing. This very name change had to do with how great God is and how insignificant the gods that we make are because they are nothing and they cannot change anything. They cannot change our hearts. They cannot change our lives. They cannot change the course of history. Why? Because it's his story. Now, this story of the Midianites is instructive in so many ways for the children of Israel and for those of us who have been grafted in by the great mercy and grace of God. Gideon is called to battle against the Midianites. Now, who are the Midianites? They are the people that we see many times in the scriptures. Matter of fact, this is where Moses went to the Midianites, to the land of Midian. It was across the Jordan River on the eastern side. They were a desert people. The scripture says in several places that every year they came across the Jordan River and they would come across in the same way at the same place every time. They would come across at the fords of the Jordan River that is just below the ancient city of Bethshan, Bethshan for many of you. Bethshan is a place where I've taken many people that are listening to this podcast. As we have left the Galilee on our way to Jerusalem, we stop at the eastern entrance of the Jezreel Valley, the Valley of Armageddon. Sometimes we will go to Herod Springs. Herod Springs is where the springs of Gideon are, where he tested his men. It is right near the ancient capital of Jezreel for Ahab and Jezebel. Many times, if you'll recall, if you've been with me, this is where I show you the trees, the grove of trees, where the spring is in the valley below Jezreel, where Ahab and Jezebel had their palace. It is just at the great opening of the Herod Valley, it's called, but it's all the Jezreel Valley. That is where Naboth's vineyard is. Why? Because there was water there. There was a spring there. The scripture says that Ahab went out of a morning and of evening, and he would see Naboth below him because Jezreel and the palace was up on a hill, as they always were, and looking down on the subjects, and there was Naboth down there, and the spoiled Ahab pouted until Jezebel got it for him through the death of Naboth. 
And so that story, all of that happens within eyesight of each other. There are good ways away, but you can see them. And so what would happen is the Midianites would come across the Jordan River and they would camp at the first level area there between Betshan near the springs of Harod. There are other water sources there. And they would scatter out all over the southern ridge of a famous mountain called Hamaray, the hill of the teacher. So the Midianites were scattered like the dust of the earth all over the southern slope of Hamaray. Now, at the foot of Mount Gilboa, which Hamaray, the southern slope is looking and facing, is a beautiful spring called Harod Spring, H-A-R-O-D, Harod, not Harod. Herod. And Herod comes out from that limestone mountain of Gilboa. It was there where Gideon brought thousands of men down to drink. And God said, I want you to test these men out and to see who is a strategic thinker who is a tactical thinker, who is a warrior. And so the thousands, after he had marched them around for a while and got them good and thirsty, he said, boys, let's go down to the brook and drink. And so he watched them. A vast majority of them just got on their faces, you know, put their swords down, put their spears down, put their shields down. I mean, they just were starved to death, thirsting to death. And so they had just put their head in the water, basically, and drank and gave no thought of what was around. Thousands, thousands did that. Now, there had already been a separating of the wheat from the chaff because Gideon had been told by God, the way you separate these folks, first of all, is just say, if anybody wants to go home, if anybody's afraid and you need to go take care of your family or whatever the case, well, then go on. No harm, no foul, go on, and thousands left. That tells us what their attitude was. They didn't want to be there to begin with, or they thought they had something better to do than to fight for their country, fight for their God, and so they went on home. Now, God doesn't chastise them for that because he's the one that told them, if you want to go home, go on home. Why? Because you don't need a scaredy cat going into battle. Everybody's afraid, but there has to be courage that overcomes fear at some point. There has to be values that overcomes fear at some point because, you see, values is what determines the victory when many times overwhelming odds are coming against you. And that's just in real life. We're seeing that in modern day battles, even between Ukraine and Russia. And Russia, with their overwhelming strength, have people that really don't want to be in the battle. And then you have people that are fighting for their wife, their husband, for their children, for their homeland. That motivates people to do things that is far beyond their initial ability and enabling. And so this was what happened. And so Gideon sent other thousands home, and only 300 men were left. Now, who were those 300? They were the ones who went, and to help you to understand what they did. I'll paint the picture the best that I can. I've done it many times and shown people what happened for those 300 that God finally used to rout the Midianites. But what happened was, after Gideon told those to go get a drink, these men went down. They would have 
knelt down on their knees on one knee. They would have had one foot on the ground. Why? Because they could stand up very quickly. Both knees on the ground, it takes time. So they knelt down on their knees, and that is with one knee down and one up about their waist as they uh, knelt down. So they were half the size that they were while they were standing, but they would have held in their hand, their right hand, their spear. They would have kept it, and it would have been erect, standing upright. They would have been on one knee. Their right knee would have been on the ground. Their left foot would have been on the ground with their knee upright. They would have reached down with their left hand. They would have scooped up water and drank it. Then they would have looked around to make sure that the enemy was not upon them. Then they would look down toward the water. They would scoop up another, and that's the way they drank. It takes a little bit longer, but it lets you know that the thirst is not dominating that person. They are still aware and have their senses about them, their presence of where they are. That's their mindset. After all, they are in a battle. They're warriors, and any time a warrior lets his emotions overcome him, he is half the warrior or a third of the warrior or nothing of the warrior that he would have been. And he would have scooped that water up, gotten enough to sustain him, and stood erect again in the position of battle. And this is the reality that only 300 did that out of thousands. God said, these are the men that I can count on. Because you see, little is much when God is in it. It's nothing for him to win a battle with a few or with many. And oftentimes in battle, those who I've talked to that have been in many battles, they will say that sometimes those who don't want to be there, those who are not trained well, those who do not have a warrior mindset, they get in the way and you have to take care of them more. So that's why you take a SEAL team. You can go in and accomplish many times what you couldn't with an army because it's a different kind of battle. This was guerrilla warfare they were dealing with here. This was 300 up against thousands. And so they had to use their head. They had to use the terrain. They had to use what was around them. Again, I have never been a soldier in the United States Army. I have not been out on the battlefields, but I've talked with many that have. Remember, I pastored in San Diego. I had SEALs that I talk with on a regular basis. I had uh, warriors that were in my circle of friends. So I would quiz them because many times I would counsel with these warriors after they came back from assignments when their heads were still spinning and they were trying to deal with what they had had to face. Because when you are in war, what we call post-traumatic stress syndrome, this is not something new. It's been going on a long time. Men that came back from World War II, they just were different. They didn't talk a whole lot about things until many times years later they would empty it out of their soul. But I came up during the Vietnam era. It was a totally different thing. And men came back and they weren't supported by their homeland. And they were mocked and ridiculed and ostracized. And that's the reason behind the first movie about Rambo and Sylvester Stallone and the movie Rambo, where the kind of climate that that Hollywood movie depicts is called Rambo First Blood.
blood, you get a sense of the uh, sense of malaise and the sense of heartache and the sense of frustration of those Vietnam vets. This is what is happening here. Many times uh, God takes a few and they are warriors. They're warriors at heart and they've learned how to fight and they've learned how to do things well and they have strategy on their side. They have wisdom on their side. They have the knowledge of the land, the knowledge of the people. They know the language. They know where the water is. They know where the hideouts are. This is the advantages on an earthly standpoint, from an earthly standpoint, that God gave to Gideon and gave him a plan, and it was a divine plan. When you see the great battles of the Bible, it's obvious that God has given the victory. And as we fight our battles day by day, it is obvious, if we will look and listen, that the battle is the Lord's. It's not by might, it's not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. That's true in the life of Gideon. That's true in the life of those of us who are walking on the way. This is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at tonycrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at tonycrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.